summer is a great time to catch a movie and some popcorn. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. In our series, Summer Blockbusters, we will be taking a look at four of this summer's hottest movies. Each week, we will uncover biblical truths that can be talked about and used to help strengthen us in all our lives and all we do. Join us as we have some fun connecting the big screen with God's Word. Wow, I wish I had hops like that. Speaking of hops like that, I was just talking to Aaron. He's the guy right here leading today. And uh, I said, he's, he's, he's got a special gift. See, I have this theory. Either you're an athlete or you're a musician, but usually you're not both. Aaron's both. And um, for I don't know how many months now, we have open gym on Sundays. It's just been a small group of people, but he said I could announce it. So, guys, if you want to play a little basketball, old or young, 4 o'clock right here. You look really excited about that. (laughs) All righty then, moving right along. Um, um, I'm sorry my Thor costume is not arriving until this afternoon. Amazon sent me a notice, so sorry I don't get to do that. But we are continuing a series called... Summer blockbusters, and we've been taking uh, big screen movies that hit the screen this summer and taking some life lessons and, more importantly, biblical life lessons from these movies. So I thought it'd be fun to do a little review, um, because if you're like me, I don't even remember what I had for lunch yesterday, let alone what was taught on. So for those of you that haven't been a part of this journey, this will be fun to, to relive that, and for those of you that have been a part of this journey, It'll be fun for you to relive it, like as if it's for the first time. So the very first movie, does anyone remember the very first movie two weeks ago? Good. Oh, look at that. I heard Top Gun, Top Gun, and then some, I don't know who it was, went right after Tom Cruise. Maverick. Yes. Okay. That's fair. Uh, The guy in this movie is just kind of decent too, a little bit, from what I heard from my wife. (laughs) Top Gun. Yeah. She's like, I want to keep seeing that movie. Uh, Why? But anyways, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. Here's some life lessons we learned. One is we have a special mission as Christ followers. Two, we need to face our fears. Three, don't do life alone. Amen. Four, team matters. And probably the one that I love is we learn through what? Oh, now, you can't say fun like you're bored, all right? I heard, like, there's some people here like, fun. We learn through There you go. And that's why we kept the Thor costume off the stage. Yes. Then last week, I didn't do any favors to uh, ticket sales on this because I said, "Ah, I don't even like watching dinosaurs for five minutes, let alone two hours. But we looked at Jurassic Park, World Dominion. And what are some life lessons we learned? Well, glad you asked. Number one, don't mess with God. Number two, obedience is good. And three, self-control is the best control. So today we get to look at Thor, Love and Thunder, and see what we can learn. Wow, that was some enthusiasm down there. All right. Good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us another day. Thank you for bringing us to sitting in purple seats on a Sunday morning. Uh, It's been a journey for all of us from A to Z. It's been a good week for some. It's been a hard week. It's been a confusing week. It's been a sad week. It's been a glad week. It's been all those things. And only God, you, through your Holy Spirit, can meet us at where we're at and take us to where you want us to be. And so we lay ourselves before you, the throne of grace, 
and ask God that you teach us, that you encourage us, that you fill our cup. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So at the beginning of this movie, uh, there's this desert scene, and we're introduced to a character, I believe his name's Gore. And Gore is kind of trudging through the desert, and you know it's hot, and he's got his daughter in his arms. I don't know, maybe six years old, seven years old, eight years old. And he drops to his knees, and she's lifeless, and he's crying out to a God, saying, Lord, heal her. Lord, heal her. I'm using the word Lord. He didn't. But heal her. And then you see moments later that this daughter of his dies in his arms. Like, what would that do to your heart? Like, I don't even want to think about answering that question. But this is what happens in the, in the opening scene. And so this brings us to our first life lesson out of this movie. Are you ready? Write this down. God is not gone. You say, Pastor, why do you say God is not gone? Because if you fast forward, he's ticked. Vengeance is his with any gods he comes across. And there's multiple gods in this movie. He swore to seek vengeance on any God he encountered that failed him, that did not answer his prayer request. And I ask you, have you ever been bitter towards God? Or are you bitter towards God in this very moment? Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever been angry with God? Have you ever wondered if God has abandoned you, just you. And what do you do? What do you do in those moments when you feel like there is no God or there is a God, but he doesn't give a rip about you? He just gives a rip about everybody else. What do you do? Well, most of us just shut our life down completely towards God, right? We just say, well, he doesn't care about me, then I don't care about what? him. And so we just turn away. You know, in some ways, we kind of looked at this with the life of Job. Job was moving along really good and had a good relationship with God. He was a righteous man. All of a sudden, everything was taken from him. And he responded really well to this crisis in his life, to this, all the things taken. But then all of a sudden, his wife starts saying, curse God and die. And he's got friends that are saying, you must ascend. And all of a sudden, for the next three chapters, we see Job shaking his fist at God, right? You guys remember that? And I think a lot of times, maybe that's what we do. We feel like, you know what? There is no God. And then bitterness and rage and, and, and betrayal and all that stuff sits in. And we say, I'm turning my back to something I don't even think exists. What should we do? We should do just the opposite. I think, especially in moments like these, we need to go toe-to-toe with him. Did you hear that? I think in those moments where we're really questioning whether he exists and whether he gives a rip about us, it's those moments that we need to go toe-to-toe with God. And really, when you think about it, that's what Job did. Job went toe-to-toe with God for 30 chapters. But you know what's cool about this is God didn't zap him. Like, like he questioned God, and he said, you betrayed me, and, you're, and you don't give a rip about me, and you care about everybody else. But, and God just listened, and that's what's cool about God, because if you came to me like that, I'd be like, get out of my face. 
Maybe I wasn't bitter, but now I am. Now maybe I wasn't angry, but now I am, right? That's a human response, but God's big. God's cool. And he took it. And he took it, and he took it. And then finally, we saw last week, all right, Job, brace yourself like a man, right? And then Job is reminded of who God is and who he is. So I take that and I I ask you, what do you do or what are you doing right now? Now, I give you credit because some of you may be feeling that right now, but you're here and some of you are online. At least you have tuned in and you're listening. Maybe it's here on Sunday or sometime during the week. So I give you that credit that you got past that and maybe this is your toe-to-toe moment. But what do you do? Well, let's look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22 Psalm 22 says, my God, my God. This is David, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Those are some same words that Jesus used on the cross. Why are you so, so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. But I find no what? I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. There you go. <laughs> You're God, and I'm feeling this way. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and delivered them. To you, they cried, and they were what? They were saved. In you, they trusted, and you were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusted the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. God, I have a problem with that. And I think David is going toe-to-toe with God. And what's interesting, isn't David the same person, the one that Scripture says that he is the man after God's own Heart. And I love this about the Psalms. I love this particularly about David. David has some really high highs and he has some really low lows. I can relate to that. There's moments where he can't stop praising God. And then there's these moments where he's like, God, do you even give a rip? Do you even care? Like this does not make sense to me. David feels abandoned. Perhaps betrayed, angry. But let me remind you, God is not what? Gone. Can you relate to that? Do you know somebody that won't come to church, won't enter into a relationship with God because they're bitter? They feel abandoned. Their prayers weren't answered, but everybody else's were. You know, I find this interesting. I make this comment all the time, but it's true. I, I just... <laughs> uh, no, we can't. I was going to say put a camera in my office. Um, but literally, it, it breaks my heart how many feel this. And it breaks my heart because of the pain that people really walk through. And I know every Sunday I, I'm looking across each service. And just even in that week, I've, I've talked with people. And, and, and the way my heart works, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I know when people ask me, pastor outside of the church, what's your philosophy of preaching? There's all kinds of ways to approach it. My approach has simply been, and that's how God's wired me, I preach to pain. Because I feel like if I preach to pain every Sunday, I'm hitting everybody, (laughs) right, at some level. 
And so with that, I think there are people that really are wrestling with this, you know, God cares about everybody else. So it's fun because, you know, I'll have someone in my office and they'll be new to the church and they'll share and they'll just go like, man, I look around and gosh, everyone's happy. Like everyone's marriage is spot on. (laughs) Can we laugh, please? A little bit? Maybe yours is. Everyone's got like well-behaved children. Oh, yeah? Go work in the nursery, huh, Amy? Go upstairs. But here's the reality. We're messy, aren't we? We're messy. I have no problem saying I'm messy as a pastor. And I've said this over and over again. If you have a problem with me being messy, then talk to the elders. Okay? Because I'm messy. And you're messy. And we all think that God's answering everybody else's prayers but ours. So if you ever feel that way, you're not alone. But I want to tell you, God is not gone. Psalms 22 continues on. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls abash them and circle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open uh, their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, all of my bones. This is just crazy descriptive feeling. Those of you that are counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, all that, can you imagine someone walks in your office with these descriptive words? I mean, they're literally like, I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. You see, David's not running from God. He's running to God. He's going toe-to-toe, but he's saying, man, I am jacked up. I do not feel good, and I wish you would pay attention to me. He's pressing against the untruth he has been telling himself. You see, Psalms continues in 22, verse 20. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Some of you are going to put your spouse's name in there. Some of you are going to put your neighbor's name in there. Some of you are going to put your pastor's name in there. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. Here's David that's struggling with God, but he's going, and there's something, even though I don't feel it, I'm still going to try and praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All your descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Feeling like God has turned on you does not feel good, does it? Please hear me. He does care whether you feel he does or not. He does love you, whether you feel he does or not. Again, I feel like I repeat myself on these things, but it's so important. If I'm doing well with God, and I'm feeling his love, and I'm throwing up my hands in praise, and I'm just singing and all the good things, you know, God is good. Then all of a sudden, I have a moment in my life where he doesn't answer my prayers like this man in the desert. 
And then I start feeling abandoned and I start shaking my fist and I turn my back on him and I don't feel he exists. I want to make a, a really clear comment to you. God's existence is not based on Robert Denton's feelings. He doesn't exist when I say he exists and he doesn't not exist when I say he doesn't exist. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense to you? Like he's much bigger than our feelings. And sometimes some would say, counselors, you need to act your way into feelings. So again, I know in my life, and I hope this is okay to say, that I've been disappointed with God, that I've felt abandoned by God. I've been angry with God. But you know what? Even in those feelings, God is big enough to handle those. And he still loves me. And he still cares about me. And guess what? He still loves you. And he still cares about you. Can I hear an amen if you believe that? You got to press against the untruth and let the truth come to the surface. Deliver me from the sword. God, help me. Show yourself to me. I am... I had to be honest and I had to think through this because if I say I've been bitter and, I think, and I've been angry or I feel betrayed, a lot of those times if I'm honest has to do with you, not me, just how my personality is. It's like I've been more disappointed and bitter towards God because of things that he has not done in your lives and in your marriages and in your parenting and in your finances. Does that make sense? Because I hear it and I so want it for you that I begin to go, God, why don't all these people like have all these pains and all these issues and you're not answering them like we want you to. But then there's also, um, then you go layer, lower, <laughs> lower, deeper, and these are the things that you don't want to look at. But I did. And um, so where is that bitterness sometimes? Where is that anger? Where is that, gosh, where were you? The easy ones are this. The, the death of both my parents at 67. Um, I mean, that's way too young to die. And... Um, I, uh, you know, in both situations, I just wish he would have answered the prayer. Uh, one particular is that I haven't shared, I don't think, with you guys is my dad, very highly successful and crazy smart. We had everything, and then he lost it all. And then he lost who he is, because us men just know this, guys. Our weaknesses, our identity is wrapped around who, what we do for a living, not who we are. And that was definitely my dad. And so there was this spiral, and he became a hermit, literally lived out in the desert. And just kind of secluded himself. And great man, uh, loves his kids, all that kind of stuff. Fast forward, uh, Lisa's pregnant with our second child. We um, added on to our house so that one of my parents could come live with us. Because my mom had cancer at that same time. You know, they're divorced. But one of them was going to live with us. But dad was deteriorating really quick. So many trips out to the desert, um, two hours long. And one trip, it was actually the last time I actually saw my dad alive. Um, I'll never forget, I helped hang a, a TV in his room, and I just felt like this was the time I needed to have the talk. And so I'm like, Dad, you know, we built this addition to the house. Um, you know, Lisa's at home most of the time. She could take care of you. I could take care of you. I think the environment will be good for you. I love you. We want you. You know, those kind of things. And my dad listened, and at the end of it, he just looked at me and said, no, son. He said, I don't want to be a burden to you or your family. It was devastating. Because I prayed, God, for this conversation. Like, Dad's going to say yes. We're going to pack the car. Everything's going to be good. Dad said no. I was pissed. I was so angry. 
I was angry at him. But I didn't do it, and I didn't show it in the moment. I walked into the other room, and I was just like, right? And I was doing that to my heavenly father and to my earthly father. That was the last time I was going to see him alive. The truth is, he could still be alive today in my, in my mind. But you know what? God gave me a peace, and he said, you know what? I feel like this. Honor your dad. Honor your dad. If that's what he wants, honor your dad. Don't push it. I could have thrown him on my shoulder and shoved him in the truck and said, this is what we're doing, right? So, yeah, I've got that. Um, you know, my mom and dad got divorced when I was two. That's, that's whatever. The, the one that was really hard for me was my stepmom and dad when they got divorced right after I became a Christian at 18. I love my stepmom. Um, still love her. She's, she's alive in Colorado. But yeah, I got some of that in me. Like, God, why couldn't you have? Do you have that? Yes? No? But here's the reality. If God answered every prayer about cancer and every prayer about marriage and every prayer about this and every prayer about drunk drivers and every prayer, no one would die, right? I mean, we wouldn't really have free will. We wouldn't have consequences of our choices. So can he intervene at any time he wants? Absolutely. But I think a lot of us is on us. Can I hear an amen on that one if you believe that? That's a hard one to swallow. So what I think is the best thing to do is read Matthew chapter 26 and 27 and then tell me that God doesn't care about you. Matthew chapter 6 and 27, you do that as homework. I'll give you a hint. It's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You read that story, and I think that'll allow you to know how much God really loves you. This leads to the second life lesson that is in this movie, and it is grief is not on a timer. Grief is not on a timer. Why do you say that? Well, at the beginning of the movie, after all this that I just shared with you, then there's narration that goes on about Thor's life. It's actually quite comical. But in that, it was like, Thor lost his you know, mother, and then, oh, Thor lost his father, and Thor lost his brother, and lost his brother, and lost his and they just kind of mimic all this, these losses. But the truth is, throughout the whole movie, Thor is dealing with grief. He really is. Uh, relationships, all, all sorts of losses, losses of his, you know, his powerful, what is it, an axe or something like that, hammer? I don't know. But one of the things I real, really felt led to, and anytime I have an opportunity to talk about this, is grief. Grief is not on a timer. And we all have people that we've lost, that we love, and psychology says there's five stages of grief. Did you know that? The first one is denial. The second one is anger. The third one is bargaining. The fourth one is depression. And the fifth one is what? Okay, so some of you have walked this road or are walking it. Acceptance, right? And that's hard, isn't it? So we, we walk through those five stages of grief. Check, 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 and check. Now I'm done. And I want to tell you something that's really important that I've learned in my own life and in the life of those of you that we've walked through grief together. It's good to have these markers, but just because you've reached acceptance, listen to this, just because you've reached acceptance, it does not mean you've graduated from grief. You catch that? Just because you've walked through these five stages does not mean you have a certificate and you have graduated from grief. There is no timer on grief. We all grieve differently. Now, in fairness, let me say one thing that's really important because I'm highly in favor of what I just shared, but I also need to share the other side of this. And this could get a little dangerous, but know my heart. 
be careful because some of us make grief a God. Did you catch that? Some of us make grief a God. And so, although there's not a timer on it, and I don't think we ever finish that, I think it's always a process, we also need to make sure that that's not where all of our energy goes and all of our attention goes because then we become dangerous and we become slaves to grief itself. I love, I love scripture that says, uh, John chapter eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Supposedly, it's the shortest um, verse in all of scripture. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Because he lost somebody that he loved. Even the son of God mourned loss. It's healthy. It's right. It's human. Matthew chapter 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So here's the other big thing I want to share. Um, if you're at home, pay attention. Dial in right here. Look at me. Um, I've learned this, and this is my opinion, okay? This is Rob Denton. This isn't scripture. I want to give you two magical words to use when someone you care about loses somebody. Are you ready? I'm sorry. Let's say that together, right? I'm sorry. Let's say it again. I'm sorry. If you want to go crazy, I'll turn it into four. But don't go any further. I'm sorry. I guess it'd be five for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. But you know what we do? And we do it because we care. By the way, I've done all these things wrong. I promise you, and I will probably continue to. But a lot of times, because we're so uncomfortable with this, we will say things like, I'm sorry for your loss, but they're no longer in pain. I'm sorry for your loss, but they're in heaven with Jesus. Those two last statements are great statements, aren't they? Isn't it great that they're no longer in pain? Isn't it great that they're with Jesus? But in that moment, I don't give a rip. I'm just shooting straight with you. I don't give a rip because I want my mom right here with me. I want my dad right here with me. I want my good friend Elu right here with me. And all those, those things are true. We, we, we tend to want to be comforting with them. Just come along some, somebody and say, I'm sorry. And what people really want in their grief is just someone to listen, to hold their hand, and to love them. And again, like I said, I've said all these crazy, silly things, and I meant them well, and you meant them well, but give yourself permission. I'm sorry, or I'm sorry for your loss. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Can I hear an amen to that? Isn't that awesome? Grief is not on a timer. The third life lesson is heaven is real. You see, when um, Gore at the beginning of the movie loses his daughter, somehow he gets in this garden and he confronts one of the gods and uh, they're having this uh, conversation and a battle. And uh, the God looks at Gore and he says this, nothing left for you after death except death. You guys remember that? Those of you that saw the movie? There's nothing left for you after death except death. Um, excuse me, you're wrong. <laughs> Even though you're a false God in saying this, and I understand it's fiction. 
You don't need to send me an email saying, Pastor, that was not for real. I, I get it. But I want to tell you something. There is something after death. There's a bad thing called hell, and there's an amazing thing called heaven. And I don't even want to focus on the hell, but we got to know there is eternal life in one or the other, everlasting life. I want to tell you, we have life after death, and it's heaven. It's heaven. Those of us that say yes to Jesus Christ, we get this promise of eternity in heaven. And I want to tell you something. And again, I'm so sorry, God, because it's just my thoughts, not your thoughts. And I know I'll be prepared for this. But if it's a cloud and harps and that's all, that seems more like hell. You know, I'm just shooting really straight on that. And if that's wrong, I'm going to start putting harp music on my playlist. Aaron, I hope it's not. And I hope it's not rap. And I hope it's not heavy metal. I'll just leave it there. I know I just lost a bunch of you. I'm using a filter right now, believe it or not. I'm using a filter. But here's the reality. I look at John chapter 14, 2 and 6. My father's house has many rooms, Jesus said. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I'll take you to be with me with, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And it goes on to say, Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through, except through good deeds, except through great service to the, your community, except through checking off boxes of financial giving, except through wearing a crystal around your neck, except for putting your furniture all in some way called feng shui or feng shui or something shui or it's my way, sway, or whatever. And you guys know where I'm going at. You see, universalism is wrong. Universalism says all roads lead to God. So whatever you think about, whatever you think about Buddhism, whatever you think about Catholicism, whatever you think about Mormonism, whatever you think about New Age, whatever, oh, we're all just going to come together because it's point to God. We're going to hold hands, sing kumbaya, and we're going to party in heaven. Now, that sounds really good. And, and, and honestly, I'd be okay with that if God was okay with that, but his word says otherwise. So I've got to preach otherwise. Jesus says the only way to go to heaven is through him. So stop fighting it. Surrender. Say yes to Christ. And then there's this cool room up there for you. Mine, I've decided there's a golf simulator in there. That's what I want. I want a golf simulator. And I want really good country music playing in the background. And I want to be able to win at every board game that's in my room. And, you know, I've got a few other things, but I'll just leave it at that. Cinnabons Unlimited, because there's no diabetes in heaven. Can I hear an amen? All right. And I could get extra fasting without having to pay more. I'm just saying. Just saying. All right. There might be a little cabarettas in there. So anyway, so I'm going off. Yours, yours might be a flower bed. Knock yourself out. You know, but for some, right? Scrapbooking. Lisa, scrapbooking. All the scrapbooking stuff that you could have, right? But the point is this. God has been working on this for 2,000 years. It's going to be good. And there is something after death. And it's called heaven. 
And I love scripture, Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Isn't that awesome? There will be more, no more pain or death or mourning or crying for the old order of things has what? Passed away. Cab driver dies, goes to heaven. St. Peter's there, opens up the book, finds the guy's name, says, ha, you're good to go. Go grab a, um, a satin robe and a golden staff. Says, yeah. Second guy's a preacher. 40 years. 40 years preaching. Goes up there. Peter's looking, looking, looking. He's looking, and then looking, looking, looking. Oh, oh, yeah, there you are. You, you just got in. He goes, go grab your wooden staff and your cloth robe. Preacher's like, what are you talking about? That guy's a New York City cab driver, and I'm a pastor of 40 years, and I get this, and he got that. And I love the response. You see, this heaven up here is interested in results. When you preached for 40 years, people slept. When he drove a cab for 40 years in New York, people prayed. A priest was talking to a group of kids about being good and going to heaven. And at the end of his talk, he asked, where do you want to go? Little Lisa raised her hand, I want to go to heaven. The pastor says, well, how do you get there? Little Jimmy raises his head, you die. (laughs) You see, there is something after death. And God has loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die so that you could go to heaven. The fourth life lesson is this, packed with power. You see, just before Jane, and I think her name is Valkyrie, is that right? Just before Jane and Valkyrie went off to battle to save the kids, which might not mean anything to you, but that's a plot in the movie, Jane asked, is asked, are you packed by Valkyrie? Simply, she was saying, do you have your weapon? And I ask you the same question this morning. Are you packed? First service, I saw a few men reach for their side. That concerns me a little bit. Actually, I felt comfort with that because they were the right guys. But I ask you the same question. Are you packed? What's your greatest weapon? Is it an ax? No. But Thor puts his arm up and all of a sudden this ax comes from heaven and then it's a hammer and it's in there and all of a sudden lightning bolts and he could swing it any way and all of a sudden thousands of people die, right? I want to tell you that's make-believe, that's the screen. But if you're a Christ follower, the scripture says that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you packed? Are you using the gift that God has given you? Acts chapter 1, verse 2, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set for you by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And Peter believed that, so he stood before thousands and thousands on the day of Pentecost, and he preached a sermon, and it came out in everybody's language. Even though he was speaking one, everyone heard it in their own language. It wasn't some babble. It wasn't speaking in tongues. They literally heard it in in, in Spanish. They literally heard it in Chinese. They literally heard it in whatever languages they were hearing it, and it was 
the Bible says that there was like this blowing of the wind. And then in the next verse in chapter four or verse four, it says that it was the Holy Spirit that was happening. And when Peter was done preaching, it says they were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do then? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And over 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Now, did that happen because of Peter's power or God's power? Peter could never have done that. He would have stumbled. He would have said things wrong. He would have sounded more like Rob Denton on a Sunday. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit did amazing things that Peter can never do. And you watch the book of Acts. They did amazing things that none of them could do. They turned the world upside down. 12 turned into 120 and 120 to 3,000, 3,000 to 10,000. And the gospel spread all the way to today, 2022. My question is, are you packed? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you and fill you? And the last life lesson, ready? Slow down. Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see, this helps set priorities. In the movie, crazy scene, Jane you're told, has um, stage four cancer, if I'm right, correct. She's got stage four, I just got an amen down here, right? Stage four cancer. She's sitting in a chair, she's receiving chemo, right? She's got a friend, she's engaged in this conversation and finds out she's not doing too well and her friend's like, man, you know, that's too bad, but I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. What's Jane's response the whole time? I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. I gotta get to the lab. I, I got work to get done. I gotta, I gotta figure out this problem. I gotta figure out this issue at work. And her friend looks at her and goes, you're doing the very thing that you need to be doing. She reaches over towards the bag and she starts squeezing it so the chemo will go faster. And I saw this picture and I'm like, how many of us are like this in our world today? where she needs to be sitting there and she needs to slow down and she needs to receive the treatment that she's receiving so that she could be healthy. And all she's worried about is the next thing at work. All she's consumed about is getting to the lab and figuring out the next thing when she needs to be sitting there taking care of herself. Now, that mess, this message is for everybody but the lazy person in here. Some of you lazy are like, yes, no. For you, it's a boot in the butt. Get moving, okay? And you know who you are. But most of us are struggling with going too fast. And life is out of control with work. Life is out of control with finances. Life is out of control with our bodies. Life is out of control with our relationship with God. And I'm here to say, slow down. Be still and know that you are God puts you in the right perspective on what needs what. But he's the key to all that. Some of you really need to start taking care of your bodies. You're just so busy doing everything else, you're not taking care of this thing that God has given you. Some of you are not even taking care of your relationship with God, and this is what you need to hear here. Some of you, you're so concerned with work, all your relationships are falling apart. Now, I know it's hard to balance all that. Can I hear an amen to that? But start with God and work from there. There's five little things that we can learn from the movie Thor. What is God telling you? What has God encouraged you with? Father, thank you. Help us. Help us to grab a hold of what it is that we need to do and do it today. In Jesus' name, 
all God's people said. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.